Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Matthew 6, verse 9. Let's stand. Uh, if you are physically able, Matthew chapter 6. Verse number nine, and when we get to the prayer, let's say it together. <clears throat> Jesus says, pray then like this, all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. How many of you like British things? Some of you do. Uh, I, I wish I could talk with a British accent. Latrell, dude, I, I wish I could, I just had your accent. I, I feel like that if you have that, your IQ goes up 50 points. I just, I really believe that. I, I love, listen, this is, I'm gonna rat myself out. I'm a little bit of a geek and nerd. I love Masterpiece uh, on, on PBS. I loved Downton Abbey. My heart was broken when it was over. You know, I still kind of, during the week, listen to the soundtrack and just imagine myself being taken up to that era. Uh, there's a show on there, a masterpiece called Poldark. Some of you have ever heard of Poldark? Um, I love the British baking show. <clears throat> I love it. Uh, I love fish and chips. I'm one of those weirdos. I love it with even malt vinegar. Yeah, and mushy peas. Uh, you're like, you know, that's legit, right, Latrell? That's legit. No, no, it's not legit. He's like, he's like, no, no, no. He didn't know I was going to pick on him this morning. But one of my favorite parts, or not just one of the things I really enjoy is British history, believe it or not. Again, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I'm a history major from the University of Kentucky and um, love those things. But one of my favorite characters in British history is Sir Winston Churchill. Uh, I've read quite a few of his biographies, and he had an amazing life. Even if World War II hadn't have happened, uh, his life was, was remarkable. You know, one of the things that, as I've read his, about different biographies about him, one of the things that was interesting is that he had a lifelong belief in the goodness and greatness of the British Empire. Now, as Americans, we've maybe growing up, and maybe when you were in school, you kind of had a negative view of colonialism, and, and it definitely had its, its great atrocities. And, and maybe we think about the Redcoats, and we think about the evil empire of the British uh, army uh, when it came to our Revolutionary War. But, but, but Churchill, even though he was an, an, an English aristocrat, to, to Churchill, British was worth, the Britain was worth living and dying for. And so Andrew Roberts, who writes a biography, a recent biography, Churchill, Walking in Destiny, uh, in, in, in one of the early chapters, after talking about Churchill's view of just his love for his country, here's what uh, Andrew Roberts writes. He says, Churchill 
took the firm and irrevocable decision to dedicate his life to the defense of the British Empire against all its enemies at home and abroad. Time and time again throughout his political career, he would put his allegiance to his ideal of the empire before his own best interest. So the question for us is this. If Winston Churchill and countless other British people could make that sort of commitment about the British Empire, even with all of its many imperfections, how much more should we as Christians be committed to a vastly more gracious, vastly more significant, far greater eternal kingdom? I mean, what if it was said about you and I after long after we're dead and gone that we, that we had taken a firm and irrevocable decision to dedicate our lives to the proclamation of the kingdom of God and its advancement against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. I mean, that we had an allegiance to God and his kingdom above our own interests. Well, the only way that that's possible is we must learn what it means to pray, your kingdom come. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer of prayers. Uh, it's meant to inform and to shape our prayer life. You've maybe prayed the prayer hundreds of times or thousands of times, and I want you to understand it's not a rigid formula that we mindlessly repeat, but it's a pattern in which we should follow. Jesus instructed us and who we are addressing. Uh, we are addressing our Father in heaven. And then we see that Jesus teaches us Petitions. There are at least six petitions in, the in this uh, prayer, and the first three prayer requests are God-centered. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and what you see is at least 50% plus of this prayer is focused on God and his glory before it ever gets to man and his need. And so this phrase, your kingdom come, points us to God who is not only our heavenly father, but is also our eternal king. And so here's what we hope to learn today, that when you and I understand the coming of God's kingdom, what that means, it will cause us to cry for God's kingdom to come deeper in our lives and in the world around us. When we understand really what it means for God's kingdom to come, it will change our prayer lives. And so let's just walk through those two points. Number one, the coming of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom. Uh, that word kingdom uh, is found 162 times in the New Testament, 55 times in the book of Matthew alone. Some people debate, well, is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven the same thing? The answer is yes, they are. So what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, as Americans, we don't live in a pure democracy. We live in a democratic republic, but we also do not live under a monarchy. As a matter of fact, we fought a war in the 1770s so that we would no longer be ruled by a king. And so the kingdom is maybe a, a new thought for us. We, we don't really think about kingdom. Uh, maybe we think of the magic kingdom, uh, but we don't think of living in a kingdom. Uh, well, the kingdom is simply an administration. It's a way of life. It's governance. It's culture that's instituted by a king. And so the kingdom of God is God's comprehensive rule and reign, authority and administration over his creation. It's his way of life, his values, and his culture. And so the Bible teaches that God is a king who rules a kingdom and overrules everything else. And so Psalm uh, 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That's what we just sang. Psalm 145, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God is the king. He's the king of kings. He's the king who can overrule all things. Graham Goldsworthy, uh, who is a scholar, said that the kingdom of God is this, God's people 
in God's place, under God's rule, and God's blessing. And so the whole story of the Bible is the story of the kingdom of God. Now, what I'm about to get into, for some of you, may seem even more geeky and nerdy than when I talked about British history, but it's so important to understand the whole of the Bible. Do you understand that you and I were created to live under God's rule so that we can joyfully flourish and enjoy God forever? That's, the, that's why you were created, to live as God's people in God's place under God's rule to receive God's blessing. That's the story of the Bible, and that's the story of God. But yet, the story of humanity is that we reject God as king. We reject God's rule in our life. And so when you get to Genesis 3, you see that Adam and Eve, God's people, lived in the Garden of Eden, God's place, and they were told to obey about the tree, God's rule, and they, when they did that, they experienced God's presence and they experienced God's joy, God's blessing. But in Genesis 3, we also learn that Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority, chose to be their own kings and queens, and the result is that God punished them and exiled them out of God's presence and out of Eden. And the result is of Adam and Eve's sin is that every son and daughter of Adam is no longer born into the kingdom of God, but is now born into the kingdom of man. And so the kingdom of man, they wanted to be king. Adam and Eve wanted to be king and queen. And so now their kingdom is a domain of darkness. And it's not ruled by Adam and Eve. It's ruled by the God of this world, Satan. And this kingdom, the kingdom of man, is a kingdom of selfishness and self-centeredness, ungodliness, strife, conflict, evil, and ultimately death. And so the kingdom of man is the reason why there's conflict on the Ukraine-Russian border. The reason uh, the, for the uh, issues in our political system and the division in our nation is because this is the kingdom of man. The reason why there's sickness, the reason, reason why there's strife, the reason why there's all kinds of, of evil lurking around in our world is because we are living in the kingdom of man. And yet the story of the Bible is how God, through Jesus Christ, came to rescue us from the kingdom of man and bring us back into the kingdom of God. So the promises that God gave to Abraham and to Moses and to David and the prophets were all about how God was going to bring us back into his kingdom under his rule so we can enjoy God's blessing forever. So when Jesus came to this earth, he came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. That's why he came. He came to get it started. And so the first message of Jesus that we have recorded in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came and announced that everything that they had thought about God's presence and God's kingdom and God's rule was not necessarily true. See, Jesus came and announced he was the new temple. He was the new kingdom. See, they had thought that the kingdom and the temple was all built around a geographical location or a building, and Jesus says, no. The kingdom and God's presence is no longer situated around a place or a building because Jesus is both the king and the kingdom. And so when you turn from your sins and you turn from your rebellion, trying to be your own king, and you turn to Jesus who is the only king, then the kingdom of God enters into you. And wherever God's presence is, is where the kingdom of God is. And so when you turn to Jesus by faith, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul said to the church of Colossae, Colossians 1:13, that he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were in the domain of darkness 
on a highway to hell with ACDC, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, uh, last year, last May, I was in, in, I was in Greece, and then I was in Turkey. And, and I've been in Turkey before, but with COVID and all the things that were going on there, I, I did, and I went deep into the interior of Turkey. When you go to kind of Istanbul, it's still kind of touristy. Uh, you go to maybe Ephesus and the other tourist destinations, and it's, it's still touristy. But when you get into interior Turkey, you're, you're getting into the heart of it, an Islamic state. And it just was a spiritually dark place. And so I was there, and I, it was a good place to visit, but I, w- I didn't want to live there. And with COVID going on, I didn't want to get stuck there. And so uh, I was uh, waiting. to. I had to go get some tests to get my PCR test so that I could fly back home. And, and, and there I was and went in this, this place, and, and they stuck that little thing up my nose and see if there's any brains up there. And, and then they stuck it in my mouth and a different one they stuck in my mouth. And, and then they, they, they put it in the test, and there I was, I mean, pins and needles, praying that I didn't have it so I can go back home because I didn't want to be stuck there. And I never forget getting the results to say I could go and then getting in that plane and flying and leaving Turkey and going back to America. I love America, all right? I list my family. I love being in America. And so, praise God, I, man, man, I love it. And so I left a place that wasn't my home, that I didn't really feel at home, and I was transferred to a place that was my home, my true home. That's what happened when you became a Christian. You left the kingdom of man and was transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. And so God's kingdom is made up right now of all believers in Christ, God's people, gathered and scattered around the world, God's place, under the law of Christ, God's rule, enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the new covenant, God's blessing. You are the kingdom. And so he says, your kingdom, that's what he means. God's people in God's place under God's rule, experiencing God's blessings. So when we pray your kingdom come, the question is this. If God's kingdom has already come, if it's already here, then why is there all these problems? Why is there injustice? Why is there poverty? Why is there racism? Why is there evil? Why is there strife? Why are there tornadoes? Why is there a blizzard uh, up in the Northeast? And why is it so cold in Florida this morning? Well, here's why. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not fully here. See, when Jesus came, he came to get the party started. And he put the kingdom inside of us. But there's still more to come. The best is yet to come. The kingdom has come, but it is still coming in its fullness. And so we see glimpses of that. So if you read the Gospels, you see all the miracles of Jesus. Jesus, uh, when he performed these miracles, it wasn't just bippity-boppity-boo. Jesus had a point for all of his miracles. And these miracles were glimpses of the coming of the kingdom. And so when Jesus healed the paralytic... When Jesus gave sight to the blind, when Jesus fed the multitudes, when Jesus raised the dead, he was pointing to life in the kingdom. See, in the kingdom of God, there are no paralytics. There are no people that are blind. There are no one, there is no one that is hungry and there is no death. But even already now, if you are in Christ spiritually, there are no spiritual paralytics in Christ. There are no spiritually blind people in Christ. There are no spiritually dead people in Christ because the kingdom of God has come inside of us. And so all these miracles were pointing to reality 
and the reality of the kingdom of God. And so I, I, there's a German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, and here's what he said. He says, miracles, you know, everybody's infatuated with miracles. He says, miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but they're actually a restoration of the natural order. He says, we are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. But they are the interruption. They're not natural. Pain, sickness, death, disease, that's not natural. And so the point of Jesus' miracles is not to say, well, from this point forward, Jesus will heal everybody that names it and claims it. No, but he's saying here the miracles of Jesus are pointing to that one day where everyone in the kingdom of God will be healed and the interruption of the unnatural will be over. That's what we're looking for. The interruption of the unnatural will be over. That is what he says, your kingdom comes. So when we talk about God's kingdom coming, we are talking about God making right the world. What we seem to think is natural is not natural. And he is going to bring it back to what he desires. And so that's the coming of the kingdom. So secondly, the cry of the kingdom, the cry for the kingdom. What, what does it mean for us to say your kingdom come. Well, it is number one, it is a cry of treason. Now, treason is a crime of one betraying their country, trying to overthrow the government or kill a leader. Well, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't calling on them to overthrow Roman occupation in that day that was, that was over Israel and to reestablish a throne of David. That's not what he was getting at. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are asking, all right, Jesus, you've, you've now died on the cross and you've now risen from the dead. Where, what are we going to do next? We're going to go to Disney. What are we going to do? Are we going to overthrow Roman occupation? Are we going to set up a, a kingdom here? Are we, we going to storm the Bastille? What are we going to do? And Jesus said, guys, you don't understand Jesus was not calling on his people to overthrow the kingdom of man and establish his kingdom. He was praying here, he was praying here that we would pray to God. He was saying that we should pray to God to overthrow the kingdom of man and that God would establish his kingdom. Not by us politically fighting for it, not by us physically fighting for it. And so here's what you have to understand. Even back to the days of the disciples, the disciples in Jesus' day and even many disciples of Jesus in our day believe that you can solve spiritual problems with political solutions. But let me just let you in on something. Only Jesus can make anything great. And only Jesus can build back anything better. Let that one sink in. I hit both sides on that one. <laughs> See, only Jesus can make anything great again, and only Jesus can build back anything better. You can't fix spiritual problems with political solutions. They don't work. Jesus says this in John chapter 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. The kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man, is led by Satan. He's the God of this world. He sits in the ruling seat. He has a government of darkness. People say, is there a Kabbalah out there that's running all these different things? Yeah, Satan. 
He's the leader of the spiritual government of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he planted his flag on this earth in Genesis 3, and he stormed the castle of human, human hearts. And so when we are praying, your kingdom come, we're asking that God would destroy the works of the devil. See, we want to see Satan and his demonic forces that scheme, assault, lie, and accuse to be destroyed and thrown into the pit. We want to see his kingdom come and Satan's kingdom to be destroyed. Well, here's the good news. In Christ, we're not victims because Jesus has already defeated Satan. On the cross, Jesus crushed the head of Satan and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And so we have to think different. So when we pray your kingdom come, it is a cry of treason against the fallen, broken world around us. There's a pastor in China who is a pastor in mainland China. You may not be aware of this, but actually uh, the fastest growing church right now in the world is the, is the church in Iran. It is growing exponentially. The second fastest, we talk about percentage-wise, is the church in Afghanistan. But probably what most people don't understand is that Right now, we believe that there are more Christians, true, spirit-filled, born-again Christians in China than there are in America. And they, they don't have it as easy as we have it. See, we can do in public what they can only do in private. And so there was a pastor who was speaking about this, and, and, he, and he's, he, he's been a part of the free Hong Kong movement, and he has dealt with persecution in China. And here's what he says. He says, it is right and just for the church to speak out against unjust laws and to defend freedom. It's right for the church to do that. But they should never have to do it from a place of desperation. In other words, we should stand against injustice. We should stand against evil. We should stand for the rights of the unborn and the born. We should stand against racism. We should stand for religious liberties, but we should never do so from a place of desperation. Why? We ain't desperate. We got a king, and he is one. And because of that, we must not cease to pray, the pastor says, we should not cease to pray for people who oppress us and share Christ with the officials who arrest us and love our neighbors who report us. See, until Christ returns, we are citizens of his kingdom's kingdom living behind enemy lines. We're in hostile territory. We're in the already not yet world, and so this conflict is a conflict of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And, and, and where there is movement in the kingdom of God, there's friction. See, if, if you are in a church and there's no friction and there's no problems and everything's happy, you're not doing anything for God. But where you are moving for God, there's friction. Because the kingdom of man does not like the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so that's why we pray, your kingdom come. God, this world, Father, this world is not my home. It's passing away. I have no allegiance to the God of this world. I'm living behind enemy lines and I will not waver in my allegiance to you. Bring your kingdom. It's not only a cry of treason, it's a cry of devotion. When we say your kingdom come, there's a sense that we are declaring allegiance to the king. We're asking that God would extend his 
rule and his royal power over our lives. God, rule my emotions, rule my desires, rule my thoughts, rule my commitments. God, rule in me in such a way that I obey you with all of my heart with joy. You know, fundamental to being a part of the kingdom of God is being obedient to the king. You can't, there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. Augustine said, he says, that we should never pray for God's kingdom to come without praying, God, let it come deeper in me. Let it grow deeper in me. See, every day we're faced with a decision. You know what that decision is? Every day. And that is, whose kingdom are we going to build? Whose kingdom are we going to live for? And and that decision, uh, to make that decision, you have to decide, well, whose kingdom is better? Is God's kingdom better? Is my kingdom better? And, And sadly, many of us want to, we want to experience the benefits of the kingdom, but, but we don't want to be under the rulership of the king. We want the privileges and benefits of being in the kingdom, but we don't want the responsibilities and rules of living under the king. See, what most people want is they would rather have Jesus be their burger king than their king of kings. They don't mind Jesus who fills their bellies and fills their wallet and fulfills their life and helps their family and fixes their problems and is there when they are in time of need. They don't mind a Jesus like that. But a Jesus that says, come and die, that says, follow me, that says, be generous, that says, be forgiving, they don't necessarily like a Jesus like that. You know, those of you who have children, in your home, there's a battle for supremacy. Your kids will often try to establish a rival kingdom. See, what I found with my kids is that my kids want the privileges and benefits of living in my home, but they want none of the responsibilities or the rules. Daddy, can we go eat this at this place? Yeah, if you clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Can we go out to eat? No. Clean your room. Anybody else have issues like this? (laughs) Daddy, I want you to buy me this this toy. How much is it? I don't know. You clean your room? Nope. Then I don't care. What we have is you have kids that want privileges and benefits... But they don't want any responsibilities or rules. But here's the deal at the Brumbach house. If you live in my house, you must obey my rules. And if you don't, there will be severe consequences. Well, let's just go away from my kids. I want to pick on them. Let's talk about you. If you come to my house, at the Brumbach house, we have different rules. We have ways we do things, customs, etc., Well, if you come to my house and you don't like my rules, it's not me that's going to adjust. It is you. It's my house. I'm paying the bills. If you don't like it, get off my property. (laughs) Now, I'm being funny here, but here's what I want you to get at. We cannot live in God's kingdom, enjoy God's blessing, and not desire to follow God's ways. 
So when we say your kingdom come, it is a cry of repentance that we do not want our kingdom to come in the world, but we want his kingdom to come. And there's a battle within all of our hearts. We know if you're a Christian that God's kingdom is best, but sin inside of us wants us to build our own kingdom and build our own empire and not God's kingdom. We want to promote our agenda. We want the flag of self flying over the flag of Christ. And you say, well, you know, Pastor, you're absolutely right. There are people that are out building their own kingdom. There are people, I know them, and I wish they were here for this message, preacher, because this would have been so good for them. Do you know the link to the podcast? I'm sure we'll get emails. But here's what I want. Just just in case you run into those people that build their own kingdom, let me me give you seven ways that you can maybe detect to see if if you know somebody that's building their own kingdom. You, you might be building your own kingdom if you secretly rejoice when others struggle or not as successful as you. You might be building your own kingdom if you're territorial over certain areas. And this even happens in the church. Well, that's my seat. It's not your seat, it's my seat. I've been sitting there for years Matter of fact, when they put that seat in, I was the first one that sat there. Get out my seat. It's my ministry. I've been doing it for years. You don't know the blood, sweat, and tears. This is my ministry. We do this in certain areas. So you might be building your own kingdom if you're territorial. Number three, you might be building your own kingdom if you support the things you like or the things that promote you. Well, I'll, I'll do that if it makes me look good, if it makes me happy. If it fulfills what I have, I'll support it. I'll get behind it. But man, if you ask me to do something that's not going to help me, I ain't in. I'm not. Nope, not at all. Four, you might be building your own kingdom if you exaggerate your own importance. Listen, there's no kind of promotion like self-promotion. Five, you might be building your own kingdom if you're envious of others that are more successful or more recognized. And so you see them getting notarized, they get the publicity, they get the likes, they get the hearts, they get known, and you don't, and so you hate it. Six, you might be building your own kingdom if you sabotage or criticize others so that you can look good. You push people down so you can build yourself up. It takes no size to criticize. And so that might be a way of you building your own kingdom. Number seven, you might be building your own kingdom if you love those who follow you and you disregard those who don't. So if people love you, you love them, but if people don't love you, you don't have any time for them. Or let's take it even further. You love those who really like to follow you and listen to you, but if someone doesn't like to listen to you or someone doesn't give you the respect you think you need, well, I'm done with them. Those are signs. Here's what you have to understand. We're not here to build our kingdom. It's not about our agenda, our notoriety, our fame. It's not about us looking good. It's not about us promoting our uh, influence and our importance. It's not about us uh, being more successful or this being my particular territory. We are called to live our lives as citizens of God's kingdom and to bear witness to the reality of God's kingdom in our lives. You and I, if you are a Christian, are participants in God's mission to spread God's reign and rule from Naples to the nation so that we might reflect the way God has things in heaven now. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're saying, God, you are my king, and I wanna see your kingdom come, not my own. 
I want to be obedient to your rule over my life. I want others to see my life and in my life that you are my king. And that's the question. Can others in your life, would they know who has your ultimate allegiance? Could, could others say, you know what? That person is sold out for, who would they say? Would they say, you know, that person is sold out for their job. That person is sold out for their family. That person is sold out for money. That person is sold out for their own personal ambition. Or would they say, that person is sold out for King Jesus. When you pray your kingdom come, you're saying, I'm all in for you, King Jesus. Number three, when you pray your kingdom come, it's a cry for, for redemption. I'm gonna hurry up here. It's asking God to usher in an unimaginable future where all suffering, injustice, poverty, and death will be ended. It's a cry for God to bring heaven down, to make everything sad and true. The, the coming of God's kingdom has been the cry of the church for 2,000 years. It's the undying burden of God's people. It is asking God to make everything right. It's a, it's a cry for personal redemption. Those of you that are suffering in this room, maybe you have physical pain, maybe you have emotional pain, financial difficulties, maybe, you're, maybe you've experienced abuse, maybe someone has hurt you, abandoned you, Maybe someone has, has done something very horrible in your life. Maybe you have suffered in, in ways that seem to have absolutely no reason at all, and you're longing for that day where justice and righteousness will flow down, where everything sad will be untrue, where your bodies will be back to what they were or even better. Some of you maybe have heard of a lady by the name of Joni, Joni Erickson Tata. Joni, who has a tremendous ministry is a young lady who at 17 broke her neck in a diving accident and became quadriplegic. God has used her story to help so many people who are suffering. She talks um, in some of her writing about after her accident, after she was rendered a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, she went to a church service. And at this church service, she, she saw everyone come down at the end and kneel in prayer. Here she was in her wheelchair. They're all on their knees in prayer. And she was in despair. And she, she began to have this thought in her mind. I'll never be able to kneel again. And so she writes. And then I remembered. I remembered the kingdom resurrection. Just before the party gets going in heaven, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees, kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to be on my feet dancing. Can you imagine the hope that gives someone with a permanent spinal cord injury? Can you imagine the hope this gives to one who is a manic depressive? She says, no other religion promises new bodies in a material universe. Only in the gospel of Jesus do people hurting like me find such enormous hope to live. So if you've ever been around Joni or heard her speak, you'll notice that her legs are crippled. But you'll also notice that her soul is dancing. And the reason is because her body is here on earth, but her soul is in the kingdom, and one day her body will catch up with her soul. See, when you pray your kingdom come, you're saying, God, in my life, 
Make it right. But not only personal redemption, but global redemption. As you pray, as we pray, your kingdom come. We are asking that those who are still in the domain of darkness, those who are still under the bondage of Satan, to be brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're praying for God to conquer rebellious hearts and make them his forever. It is a cry asking for God to expand his kingdom in the hearts of those we love, to our children, our grandchildren, to our family members, our friends. And it's humbling to know that God advances his kingdom through our prayers and through the proclamation of us. And so that's what it means to pray your kingdom come. It's a, it's a cry of treason. This world's not my home. I'm not gonna be tricked. I'm gonna stand in opposition to the kingdom of man. It's a cry of devotion. It says, Jesus, you are my king and it is your kingdom that I am seeking to build, not my own. And it's a cry of redemption saying, Jesus, come and make everything sad in this world become untrue. Let's end with this. Last year, last February, February 21st, February 2021, last year, an announcement was made that the sixth in line to the British throne, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, and his wife, Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, have decided that they no longer want to be a part of the royal family. They didn't want the obligations or the responsibilities of living the royal life. They didn't mind the privileges, but they didn't want the responsibility. Before they made their decision for quite some time, uh, Harry and Meghan approached Queen Elizabeth, and they, they actually came to Queen Elizabeth with a hybrid approach. They told her that they would do some of the duties, they would perform some of the duties, but not all of the duties, and they still wanted some of the privileges. They thought it was a very good compromise. Well, Queen Elizabeth met with them and told them, you have two options, in or out. And so they chose out. And then they went on TV and aired their grievances. Well, for you and I, we don't have a choice whether to be in the British royal family or not. There is no in or out for that. I mean, we can't call Queen Elizabeth this afternoon and say, hey, would you mind letting us in the royal family? No. But to be in God's family, to be in God's royal family, to be a citizen of the kingdom, the option is the same. You are either in or you're out. There's no hybrid approach. You can't be partly in God's kingdom and partly out. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. You can't be a hokey-pokey Christian. You can't put your big foot in and then take your big foot out. You're either all in or you're all out. And that's the question. Are you all in? Because if you're not all in, you're all out. But you'll never say, I'm all in. You'll never say, your kingdom come until you've surrendered your life to the king. Till you come to a place where you see the beauty and wonder of his majesty and you give your life to him. Until you come to that place where you stop living for your kingdom and live for his eternal kingdom. And my prayer is, is that for those in this room or those watching online that do, that do not have that relationship, that have not surrendered their life to the king, 
that today you would. That you would say, Jesus, I am all in for you. I still struggle, I still have doubts, but Jesus, today I'm surrendering my life. I wanna be in your kingdom. I want to be where you are. Because where God is is where God's kingdom is. And where God's kingdom is is where God's blessing is. And where God's blessing is is where your joy is found. Your kingdom come. And so my prayer is is that today, some of you that have never trusted Jesus, today you would say for the first time, your kingdom come and let it come inside of my heart. For others in this room, you have trusted Jesus as your savior and you're living for him, but yet you're going through those seasons of rebellion. When maybe today you would say, Jesus, you are my king. I recommit myself to you today. I love you. Help me to live for you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work I couldn't do. And Father, you would move in the hearts of those in this room or those online. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to trust you as Savior, that God, today would be that day. Father, today would be that moment. Maybe there's someone in this room that, that, that says, you know what, I, I've never really truly given my life to Jesus. So Father, today, would they pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I believe you are the king. You are the king that died for me. You're the king that rose from the dead. And so today, King Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of living life my own way. And Father, today I surrender to your way. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray if anyone in this room prays something similar to that, that they would have the courage to let it be known. Father, help us to live for you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.